0: Yeah, we got singing pastors around here who are in love with Jesus. Jerry, Pastor Jerry, thank you so much for that blessing. Got me all crying before I preach here now. So, that'll be your fault. I can't see my notes, so I'm just going to say a bunch of stuff. And uh, why do we make such a big deal of the name of Jesus? Why do we say the same story every week? Why is it that all across... Our nation and all across the world, as morning comes on the Lord's Day, in big and small places, in humble and fancy places, people gather and they sing the same songs and they tell the same stories. It's because there's never ever been anybody like Jesus. And it's because there never will be anybody like Him. Never has been anybody like Him. Never will be anybody like Him. Listen to what the book of Matthew says in chapter 4 and verse 23 about Jesus. Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. And then his fame... Have you ever heard of anybody like this? Anybody ever read about anybody like this? Nobody else like him. Nobody could say this about somebody hold a straight face. He went all throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. (laughs) Then his fame went throughout Syria, and they brought to him all sick people, who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those that were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Have you ever heard of anybody like this man? Ever? Have you ever read about anybody like him? I haven't. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee, from Decapolis, from Jerusalem, from Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. This is the chunk of the Bible that this is a little story about what Jesus was doing around healing everybody that precedes the Sermon on the Mount. Comes down from the Sermon on the Mount and immediately goes into ministry with with healing people. And Matthew, just he could have taken thousands of different stories to tell. But he just took nine stories of healing, of of miracles and of healing. And then when you get to the end of that section, listen to what it says. It sounds a little bit like what I just read. This is in Matthew now and chapter 9 and verse 35. Listen, and, and, and you ask yourself, has anyone ever told you a story about anybody like this? Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Have you ever heard of anybody like that? People, listen, you go to church week after week, you say the same stuff week after week, you say wonderful, amazing, miraculous things, and you sit there like a bump on a log, like, yeah, I've heard this before. Do you believe this stuff? Yeah. He, you ever met anybody that just goes around healing all kinds of sicknesses and diseases, literally healing thousands of people and crowds follow him and thousands of people get healed? This is an amazing claim, folks. It really is. It's what it says about Jesus. He went about the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Sounds like he was batting a thousand on the healing. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Well, I don't mind singing about jesus and talking about jesus and having a choir rehearse to sing about jesus in a special way and bragging about jesus we're never going to get tired of doing we're going to gather here every week and we're going to sing about jesus and we're going to talk about jesus and we're going to tell the same old story until we die or until jesus comes back and there's nobody you can talk about like that There never has been anybody that you can talk about like that. There never will be anybody that you can talk about like that. There's nobody that could sustain a singular song throughout 2,000 years that you could possibly sing about like that. But Jesus. I'm just seeing if I'm in a Christian church today. I'm just checking. Thought I stumbled in among Mormons for a moment there. Everybody was so quiet. No, I'm just kidding you. There's a story that Matthew tells, he could, have, he could have picked one of a thousand stories, one of two thousand stories, but Matthew's going to tell a cluster of stories, and he's got a purpose in it, we'll get to that. He's going to tell a cluster of stories, and the one that he chooses to tell first is a story that is also told in Mark, and it's also told by Luke. This is a very famous story about Jesus. This is a very, it's a featured story about Jesus. It has elements in it that God, the Holy Spirit, wants us to know and His people to hear and to believe. And Matthew told it and arranged the 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 arranged this material and arranged the sharing of this story to be first for a very specific reasons. The stories that he's about to tell about healing and miracles are not in a specific chronological order. So we know that Matthew intentionally arranged these stories for us to have a kind of a a. a a cross section of the ministry of Jesus because he was trying to help people understand who Jesus really was. And this is the story that he tells. Jesus came down off of the mountain. Now, Jesus was giving the Sermon on the Mount. People have been following him, he's doing these healings and preaching the kingdom, and large multitudes of people have been following. Jesus now he comes down off of the mountain there within sight of the Sea of Galilee. He's on his way to Capernaum. Multitudes are following him. That's not unusual. It's not unusual that multitudes would follow a man that had such ability to heal and such ability to teach with with unusual authority. But now something really unusual happens. A leper. An outcast, a person that is required by Levitical law to call out, unclean, unclean. If anybody gets near him, it's going to be a public health nuisance here. If this guy gets close to people, they could be contaminated. They could be ostracized from their communities, from their synagogue, from their family, from their people for the rest of their lives until they die. You don't want to touch this guy. You want to stay away from him. And he is required by law to stay away from you. But with this unusual holy chutzpah, he's coming up to Jesus and Matthew says, behold, look at this. Look what's happening. Stop and look. Everybody, look what's happening. Here comes a leper who's coming and he's approaching Jesus. And he's, and he has the audacity to ask, to tell Jesus something. He says to Jesus, if you want to, you can make me clean. He probably didn't say it in a big, booming, strong voice because this kind of leprosy could affect the person's entire physiology, probably with just a rasping, pitiful voice. If you want to, you can make me clean. And Jesus does not speak to him. Jesus does something for this leper that probably no one's done for years. Jesus does something only Jesus could do and still keep the law. The law says you don't touch a leper. And the first thing that Jesus did before a word came out of his mouth is Jesus reached out and he touched him. It must have been electric, electrifying to the crowd. In the crowd, they must have said, he touched him. He touched him. Jesus was very, very careful to blow away things people added to the law. But Jesus was careful to keep the law. And if Jesus didn't intend to completely cleanse and heal this guy, then he would be breaking the law by touching him. But the man had enough faith to believe, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus touches him, and he says, I'm willing, you're clean. And immediately, he had the skin of a baby again. He had the skin of a young man again. Is it a cool story? I think so. What happens then? Jesus says to him, now don't tell anybody what happened here. Isn't that weird? Now, why is that? When you read stuff like that, you ask yourself, why would he say something like that? Because it would seem like he would be a really good kind of uh, advertisement. He says, don't don't tell anybody. Now he's in Galilee. He's near the Sea of Galilee. He's on the north and west shore of the Sea of Galilee. And he says to him, go show yourself to the priest like the law requires and, and give the offering the law requires. So what does that mean? Do you just see the guy kind of like, tripping lightly in town and talking to the local priest? That's not what's going on. Because if he's going to give an offering, that means, according to the law of Moses, he's going to make a sacrifice. And he's going to go to not just any priest, but to the priest that can declare that he is cleansed. This guy's going to go to Jerusalem. He's got to take a trip to Jerusalem. We went from Galilee to Jerusalem on a bus, air-conditioned bus. And it was a bit of a long trip. He's going to walk from Galilee to Jerusalem. And he's not supposed to tell anybody what happened to him. Now, we don't know it from reading Matthew, but if you read the account in Mark, and you, you read the account, in, I'm laughing because that's what Pastor Pine's doing right now. He's like, doing the cross, aren't you? Yep, come on, let's be honest. Yeah, I'm looking down there, he's like, hmm, I wonder what it says. <laughs> Sorry about that. I just saw you doing that there. And, yeah. <laughs> and in the, in the parallel accounts, it says he told, everybody, he told everybody he knew. Well, it would be hard. I mean, if you're going to break a rule, that would be a rule that would be kind of forgivable, wouldn't it? He told me not to tell anybody, but, you know, I was a leper. I couldn't touch my wife. I couldn't kiss her lips. I couldn't hold my grandkids in my lap. I couldn't go to synagogue. I couldn't go fishing with my kids. I was dying. I was hurting. I was disfigured. I was unclean. I had to crowd unclean. Anytime anybody came near me. And then this man Jesus. He touched me. He touched me and cleansed me. I'm sorry but I can't be quiet about that. He says go. Then Jesus went about. All the cities and villages teaching their synagogues. Preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Healing every sickness and every disease among the people. <laughs> and when he saw the multitudes, he's moved with compassion for them. Matthew chapter 7, Matthew uh, ch- sorry, chapter 8, verse 1 through 4, is where I found a little story. When he come down from the mountain, Jesus came down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him, and behold, a leper came and worshiped him. It means he fell down before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Somebody uses that particular word, Lord, it may be just a term of Uh, courtesy. But in this case, when you see the evidence of what he believed about Jesus and his willingness to go and make sacrifice and see the priest, then you understand that his Lord meant Lord. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. This This was bold. This was an exercise of faith. Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I'm willing to be cleansed. And immediately, immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Keep the law. Go offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now here's a key question to me. And I'll just throw this out to you, because if you're like a perceptive learner, you'll keep this little question tucked away in your heart, and whenever we're dealing with these um, passages in the book of Matthew, week after week after week, as we make our way through Matthew here for another two and a half years, one of the things you want to ask yourself continuously, this is a wonderful question, this question is like a key that will unlock meaning and help you get kind of like a mainstream the truth into your heart. And here's the question, why did Matthew... Put this story here. Why did Matthew put this in his book, in his story of Jesus? The biographies of Jesus in the Bible, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they call the synoptic Gospels. They have a lot of the same material, and John is not called a synoptic Gospel. We have these little short books, these little short Gospels that tend to start fast and slow way down when they get to the death of Christ. Miracles are a big deal, but the miracles are not the main idea. Clearly, the big idea is what happens in the suffering and the death of Christ. The emphasis of these stories is the suffering and the death of Christ, not his miraculous ability. Even though we would really tend to notice a person's miraculous ability, it's the suffering and the death of Christ that gets the most ink in these little short Stories of Jesus' life that we call the Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels. And so that's the emphasis that God wants us to have. So Jesus is saying, don't go make me famous for healing people, because even though that's really wonderful, that's really not the point. This was Matthew's way of showing the authenticity of Jesus' claim to be Messiah. And this is what he's done. In Matthew chapter 1 through 4, He was the one who came as the fulfillment of the Old Testament scripture. In Matthew chapter 1, 2, and 3, and 4, Jesus came. Clearly, there was a formula that that Matthew uses over and over again, that it might be fulfilled, which was written by the prophets, or that the scriptures might be fulfilled. In Matthew chapters 1 through 4, Matthew is saying, here's Jesus. Jesus is uniquely God. He fulfilled the Old Testament scriptures. He is the only one who did, the only one who can. But in Matthew chapter 5, 6 and 7, Matthew goes, listen to what he said. Nobody ever talked like he talked. Nobody ever had the authority that he had. And he comes to the end of that message. Matthew says he spoke with authority, unlike the scribes. The people were amazed by this. So you hear this man, the, the claim is that he is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, that he's Christ, that he's the Messiah. And now he has all of this like amazing talk that he gives. So does he really have game? Yes, he does. He comes down off the mountain, starts healing people. And the healing stories, these cluster of miraculous stories, the healing stories, they're kind of interesting. They're kind of nuanced. There's two things. One thing that's being said is Jesus has the power to back up what he said. And he has authority over everything. But there's a little, there's a nuance, there's a subtly, there's something more that he puts in there. The stories themselves have something in common. The first three stories are of people that would be very unlikely people that God would care about or touch. A leper? Who cares about a leper? And then he heals the servant of a person who is an occupation soldier. The Jewish people are going, hmm, what's up with that? I mean, couldn't he find a good observant religious Jew to bless? Why a Roman soldier's servant after all? And then he kind of tweaks them by saying something. We'll get to that. And then a woman in that culture, women did not have a place an elevated place, and he heals a woman. And these are the stories of unlikely people that he heals. There's a subtlety to them. Matthew included this cluster of stories so that people would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and we still need to do that today. So that's how, that's how the blessing of the Lord comes to us, Then when we believe who he is and we take our uncleanness and we take our burdens and we take our sin and we take our brokenness and we take our burdens that we cry over at night in our prayer requests to the one who will touch us when no one else will lay a finger on us and who can help us when no one else can touch us we're all troubled and burdened and broken and we're all outcasts with disease and with death and with sin. And Jesus is willing to touch. And Jesus is willing to cleanse. And Jesus is willing to heal. And Jesus is willing to forgive. And really, only he can do that. It wouldn't have mattered if anybody else touched that man unless he empowered them to touch him. Only Jesus' touch would heal that man and not break the law. So when you have an impossible problem, And when you know you're untouchable or you feel like you're untouchable or when you know that you're unclean, here's what you do. Simple little story that Matthew's given us. You go fall down before Jesus and you worship him and you believe him and you trust him and you let him touch you. And then you worship him and then you are cleansed and then you go do what the Bible says and then you are a witness. So what's the truth of this message? Want to hear the central truth? Here it is. (laughs) Come to Jesus. He will touch you. He will cleanse you when nobody else can. (laughs) Bring your shame, your sorrow, your burdens, your brokenness, your sin. You've got to do this over and over again. There's one salvation, but don't we keep coming back to the Lord? Hey, have you here and you're like, um, you used to be closer to the Lord than you are right now. There was one time when you just felt so close to the Lord. You just sensed his love for you. When you heard the bird songs in the morning, it was like his song just for you. You opened up the Bible and you thought, I love this book. I promise I'll walk with you all the days of my life. But then you you started getting calluses on your heart and you got cold and you kind of missed your devotional times. And some things came in and hurt you, disappointed you. Maybe there weren't a lot of Christian people around you and you got hurt, Disappointed. You got to go back. You got to get on your face again. You got to admit your sin. You got to ask him to touch you. You got to say to him, If you will, you can make me clean. And he will say, Before he even speaks, he'll touch you. And then he'll say, I will. I can and I will. So, you ready to line up? Anybody need him today? Needy people, I get the hand up there. Yeah. Anybody not need the Lord today? Sit there like a Baptist bump on a log. He says, "Show yourself." To the, show, there's something more here. He says, "Show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded." And this is a little phrase as a testimony to them. Well, this guy's going to be a testimony to the priest. They need to learn from you. You got something to tell them. You have a testimony. A testimony is you just tell what you saw. You see, you tell people what happened. You ought to have a testimony. Every one of you ought to have a testimony. People that go to school with you, they need to hear your testimony. Your neighbors need to hear your testimony. If Jesus has touched you, you should be talking about it to people. Let them know. They ought to have your testimony. (laughs) I was with my mom and my dad. I'm really uh, having a nice day with them. And I need to get back over here for some things that I need to do in the evening, but it was a couple weeks ago, and I just had one of those times. My mom and dad are getting older, so you tend to think, I wonder, I wonder how many years we get to be together. And so uh, my mom got out this book of, of uh, photographs, which probably would have bored me a decade ago. But now it's just so interesting and the theme of the story in the, in the book of the photographs of my mom inside the family, the Shipley people, was the grace of God. Just the grace of God. Just the grace of God. People that are sinners, messed up, broken family. You know the story I've told you before. The little girls look down the street. They see the circus tent going up. They think it's a circus. It's a vacation Bible school. They tell the story of Jesus. Those two little girls embrace Christ, my mom and my aunt. They get saved. They go home. Eventually, grandma gets saved, and grandpa gets right with the Lord. Eventually, even though they're divorced, they're reunited. (laughs) It's a cool story, isn't it? You wouldn't blame me for telling it again. They're reunited. So I'm looking through the little picture book, you know. And all of a sudden, I come across a picture that I had never seen before, and it was so obvious when I saw the picture, oh, I see what's going on here. Here you got people who've been so messed up by sin, and so divided by sin, and so broken by sin, and so guilty because of their sin, and so ashamed because of their sin, that when God put them back together, and when they got the gospel, and when they got saved, they wanted everybody to know it. So they put together a family picture. I want you to see it today. That's my grandpa and my grandma. And the pretty girl in the middle is my mom. I knew you liked it. And look what it says. For we know that all things work together. (laughs) We know that all things work together for good to them. I love God. I know a lot of you are hurting. And you've been messed, because sin does that, gets in every one of our families, every one of our lives, and does terrible things that we're ashamed of. I know that a lot of you feel that way today. But there isn't any uncleanness that Jesus will not touch. There isn't any desperate, outcast person that Jesus will not cleanse. That includes you. Whatever your story is that nobody else really <laughs> wants to hear. I have this vision for our church that the Lord's been given to my heart. And it's fulfilled in many ways in pieces already, but people who, who have been touched by the Lord Jesus. And they, they go back to where they live. And they go to the places where they work. And the little networks of life. You know, there's a circle of light that's cast by a believer's life. And it's a dark, dark world out there. But you, wherever you go, you cast this circle of beautiful light because Christ is in you. I'm not talking about here in the building. I'm talking about where you live. Your, your block where you live. The street where you live. The, the clients that you serve. The people that you work with. And you look at their lives, and if you listen long enough and you pay attention, you just see this brokenness, this sin, this guilt, this shame, they're, 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 how, how Satan is messing with them. And if you have the light in you, then it begins to shine out, and you, you begin to influence the people that live in your circle of light. Out there, out there, not, not here, out there. I, I, I imagine a, a quad of men, four guys, they, they meet for breakfast every other week. And and maybe a couple of them have known the Lord for a long time. And the other guys, they're just brand new. They don't know a thing. And the older guys, the mature guys, are helping these other two guys along. I imagine three ladies meeting at Panera, and their Bibles are open. They talk about the things of the Lord, and they're encouraging one another, and speaking the truth to one another. I imagine a small group in a home. Oh, somebody over here has the gift of hospitality. It's nothing for them to bring people into their home. They love bringing people into their home, but they would never teach. Somebody over here is really not gifted in hospitality and you can't get into their houses like Fort Knox. But they love to teach and they would go over here and they they would teach in this home and another person, they're shy And it's hard for them to gather people, but they're really good at decorating and making people feel at home. Other people, they just like, they're like a magnet. Everywhere they go, people just follow them like the Pied Piper. There's a cluster of students that meet on a campus, students of Middle Eastern origin. And they're hearing about the Lord Jesus, the story of Jesus. There's singles in their 20s that meet on Sunday night after church. And they study the Bible. After they study the Bible all day. Sunday school and morning service and evening, service. they want to get together again, and they're drawing other young people in, helping them through the hardships of being a 20-year-old, 20-something single. As a man who coaches baseball or soccer or a woman, and at the end of the season, they they open their backyard and they have a barbecue, and everybody comes over to their backyard. They don't preach, they could, but they don't. They just love people and they give them good barbecue. Before they serve the meal, they stop and they go, well, now we're going to have a word of prayer. And everybody just stops and they're real quiet and respectful and they kind of scratch their heads. And then maybe a few weeks later, maybe a few months later, they get a call on the phone. Hey, me and my wife, we're, we're really struggling. Would you help me? Can we talk? I just imagine these things. The spontaneous kind of things that people do. It happens already, but even more. Three, three men who go golfing once a week. Wednesday morning, every Wednesday morning. They always invite a fourth guy who, who doesn't know the Lord yet. Sometimes his language isn't, you know, what it ought to be. But they understand. When they get done, they sit in the clubhouse, and they talk, and they try to bring that man to an understanding of who Jesus is. Or this is a man who, he has, he has breakfast or he has lunch every week with a guy that he knows that doesn't know the Lord yet. He just tries to help him understand who Jesus is. He's is a school teacher who sponsors a student-led, student-initiated, student-led Bible study. And the kids come and they talk about the Lord in the school. You people get saved that way, you know. There's a group of ladies that meet once a week and their kids are in school, so they pray for the teachers and the janitors and the administrators and, and for the kids. There's a group of people that Believe that there wouldn't be, there's there's something about sending a kid off for a week to a place a little bit like heaven where they they get fed all they want. There's always more through the door, you know. And where when the nighttime comes and the sun goes down, there's going to be a band up there just going to be singing their hearts out, jumping up and down, happy about the Lord. And then a gifted gospel preacher is going to stand up and do what? Gifted gospel preachers have done for a thousand years. He's going he's gonna to preach. And by the time he gets to the end of that night, kids are going to have their hearts touched. Some of them are going to get saved. Some them are going to give their lives at Christian service. Some of them are going to be able to tell stories that are counselor that week they've never told anybody ever. And there are going to be people in church that got an extra $100 bill. I don't need something more, I'll give my extra hundred dollar bill to get that kid to camp. It's the kind of church I dream about. Or you can do vacation Bible school, because we've always done that. I mean, it's like vacation Bible school week, okay. Time to make the donuts. Vacation Bible school week. Or we could do it like we never did it before. Do it like it was the first time we ever did it. Like maybe there's going to be a little girl down the street named Janie and a sister named Sue. And their parents are divorced. and Their hearts are broken. And they've never even heard about Jesus. And they're going to come here. And for the first time, they're going to hear a life-changing, life-transforming. My mom got saved in the, in the late 1940s. And my Aunt Sue got saved in the late 1940s on August 25th. And they have walked with the Lord all that time. So when I walk through the church and it's Vacation Bible School, that's what I think about. Look at the faces of those little kids in think, I wonder if there's a little Janie in the group. I wonder if there's a little Sue in the group. And they're never going to be the same. And their mom and dad are never going to be the same. I just, I'd say that'd be a good way to spend some time. Week of VBS. And there's Mission Awake. You haven't heard of that. It's a new thing. It's going to happen during Vacation Bible School to aim at teenage young people. Oh, that's like, I just, that's the kind of church I dream about and I'm glad I get to be a part of because sin and it dis- defiles and it disfigures all of us. But Jesus, he touches us and he cleanses us and he restores us. Amen? <laughs> a helpful little story about a boy who was terribly disfigured from an accident his face was disfigured and so when he would go to school or in the neighborhood children would be cruel to him they would make fun of him and his parents tried to shelter him they tried to give him every experience but he had this terrible disfigurement that was going to be with him for all of his life one day they decided they would take him to Disney World so he could have a happy time and they went around Disney World doing all the things that were fun and then something happened. Uh, there, was a, there was a stirring in the crowd. Someone said, Cinderella's coming, Cinderella's coming. They thought, well, how's that going to work? Now here comes Cinderella. She's an absolutely perfect, physically beautiful, perfect girl with perfect features and slender in form. And her face is beautiful to look at. She sweeps into the area where the little boy is. And as soon as she lays eyes on him, she quickly sweeps over to him. She kneels down on her knees and she plants a kiss right on the place, on his face, that's scarred and disfigured. Chuck Colson and uh, two emerging church guys were on an interview that I watched recently. Emerging church guys were, were, were slamming the local church just... Criticizing local church, people in churches don't really care about people who are hurting. People in local churches really don't reach out to the untouchables. And on and on they went. They really spent quite a bit of time citing surveys and bashing the local church, and Chuck Colson cleared his throat. One of the things they said was, uh, "People in churches don't care about people that are dying of AIDS." They don't want to have anything to do with them. Chuck Colson cleared his throat. And the moderator said, Chuck Colson has something to say. Chuck Colson's comments were really brief. He said, Back in 1979, in a prison, I dealt with my first AIDS patient. I went into the prison and I touched her and I talked with her and I prayed with her and she received Christ. And since then, he said, I've seen thousands of Christians. Thousands of Christians go directly into the prisons and work directly with AIDS patients. And I've never seen a Christian turn away from a suffering AIDS patient. He said, I think it's a bum rap. I don't know if you feel like you have any ability or any power to bless people, but as a believer, it's almost like God gave you the Cinderella outfit. And all around you are people who are disfigured by sin. Disfigured by sin that's plugged them all their lives. And you have the privilege, you have the ability to touch them and to bless them and to love them. And now you understand why my message this morning was supposed to be the Cinderella outfit. Let's sing together.